0: Well, let's open up to Luke chapter five today. Luke chapter five, and today we get to study verses one through eleven. Not not a lot of verses, and so let's go ahead and read them together, and then we'll come back and uh, and, and notice uh, just amazing truths that are taught here. It says in verse 1, and so it was, as the multitude pressed about him, this is Jesus, to hear the word of God, notice why they came, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats So that they began to sink. Now, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Here we have probably the final call of Peter um, when it really became serious in his life. We know later on as things transpired, probably about three years later, Peter denied the Lord. And, you know, he went through a struggle and he went back fishing again. Jesus had to do pretty much the same thing to call him back. But prior to this, uh, Peter had been introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. Jesus had called him other times, follow me, follow me. But Peter would always go back fishing. He would always go back to his occupation of fishing. And you know, we don't know why. We don't know if it was just not really made clear by Christ or if it was just something that Peter was struggling with. But I think it's kind of cool, huh? Don't you think it's cool that the Lord didn't give up on him? That the Lord just kept You know, pursuing him and his grace and his love and his mercy. And he's saying, Peter, man, I see more in you. You know, I see that you can be used. I see qualities in you, humility in you. Even the fact that you're not a perfect person, but but Peter, I want to work in your life. I want to work through your life. And so Jesus would continue to reach out to him. Now here we see the whole story of of how everything went down. And it's so cool. When you look at the life of the Lord, it's not usually just one thing that he's doing. It's many things that he's doing. Again, look at verse one. It says, so it was as as a multitude was pressing about him, pressed about him to hear the word of God. That he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And to me, it's interesting, huh, that the multitudes were pressing to do what? To listen to the word of God. Isn't that cool, you guys? Isn't that cool? And they were thronging him. Now, the NIV says people were crowding around him to listen to the word of God. And when you look at the life of Christ, you know, we got to know this, that especially in the beginning of his ministry, this is the way it was. Jesus often had crowds pressing about him. Uh, later, we'll read in Luke eight forty five, Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? I mean, they were all over Christ. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. Think about that. They were trampling one another. (laughs) He began to teach them at that point. We see a similar situation setting in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 9. It says, so he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him, the Bible says. And so that's the way it was with the Lord. Now, the interesting thing is, and again, we don't know all the motives of the heart, but we do know right here in verse 1 of Luke 5 that it says they were pressing about him to do what? To hear the word of God. You know, and I think that is so amazing, man. The throngs were, you know, coming. To do what? To hear the word of God, and of course we know that no one ever taught like Him. You know, I mean, imagine you know hearing Jesus teach, and so they were coming, and they were hungering, they were thronging, they were pressing. The Greek word for pressed right here it carries the idea of pressure, the pressure even of a violent tempest. And so, man, so many people were coming to Christ that there He is um, by the Lake of Gennesaret, and we're going to see eventually. He, he gets into a boat. Now, right here, it mentions the Lake of Gennesaret, just in case you're interested. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's referred to the Lake of Gennesaret. It's also known as the Sea of Galilee, also the Sea of Tiberias. Those are all New Testament terms for this same lake right here. You can look up John chapter 6, verse 1, and it talks about how it would have different names. In the Old Testament, this is called the Sea of Chanareth or Chanaroth. And so... We know this right here was 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. It lied in a dip of the earth's surface about 680 feet below sea level. And as they were there, it says in verse 2 that they saw two boats, Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, but their fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Now just in case, I want to make sure you guys don't get confused. Some people will cross-reference this to the incident in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1 where Jesus called them. But remember when you read those cross references there they were mending their nets. Here they are washing their nets because there were other times other invitations. And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus did not give up on them. They would wash their nets after every use. Um, they would then stretch them so that they can be used to catch fish the next time. Now, if you read the whole story here, we've already gone through it. Uh, Peter had toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I wouldn't be washing my nets. I'd be throwing my nets away at that point, right? But Peter was a fisherman, right? As a matter of fact, some people believe that there there may have been, uh, out of the 12 apostles, seven of them were probably fishermen. And, you know, there's this something about a fisherman, especially in those days. It wasn't like now. In the, in nowadays, we just put our pole out there. We put the line down. We put on, you know, a hook, and we just kind of kick it, right? Uh, in those days, it wasn't like that. Uh, they had the nets. The weights were very heavy. It was hard work. Um, you had to have certain attributes that we'll look at later. Um, but there they are uh, on, the, on the shore, and, and they're just washing their nets, and uh, and now Jesus would call them to full-time discipleship. You know, again, like I shared with you before, um, in verse 3 it says, He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now some say that when you teach from the water that there would be an amplification of the of the voice, and so there are certain you know elements that would allow it to carry farther. Uh, we know the main reason he got into the boat was because he was being pressed, right? But notice again, he sat down, and we've talked about that before. How in those days there would be that place of the teacher sitting, um, but as he's teaching the multitudes, and again, don't forget, man, the priority of Jesus Christ was teaching the word of God. Uh, You know, he's teaching the Word of God. But as he's there, he's got some more work to do. And so it says in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, we know that Peter does it. But what if Peter didn't do it, just out of curiosity? What if, you know, Peter said, you know, no. You know, you're a really good teacher, You know, you're a a pretty cool rabbi, but you're not a fisherman. And what if Peter just, you know, didn't have that type of heart? What if Peter said, you know, I've been toiling all night and I caught nothing. I don't know if you know this, Jesus, but this is the Sea of Galilee. And you don't catch fish during the day. You catch them at night. And you don't catch them in the deep, as a matter of fact. They would actually be more in the shallow. You don't know what you're talking about. What if Peter just looked at it from eyes of logic? Then he wouldn't have launched out into the deep, huh? He would have said, I'm sorry, Lord, but you know what? I've got things to do. I've got places to go. Um, You know, I I like the study, but you know what? That's about as far as it goes in my life. You know, Jesus said, launch out into the deep. You know what? And I think that that's kind of the way it works for us, you guys. God will test you. God will test me. God will test us. You know, whether or not we're really listening to Him, whether or not we're really walking by faith. Am I walking by faith? You know, one step at a time, you know, obeying the Lord. You know, here there's a test whether or not Peter would be willing to launch out into the deep. How about you? Are you willing to launch out into the deep? Even when it doesn't seem to add up in your own mind? Even if it defies logic from a human perspective, and yet you hear the word of God, you're open to the word of God, you're sensitive to the word of God, and you know you're, you're, you're tested at that point. Now, Peter here, um, thank God, heard the command, and he launched out into the deep. I think I've shared this verse with you guys before, but I love Psalm 107:23 through 24. It says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. You know, and that's a beautiful verse. And to me, it describes how we need to launch out into the deep. We really do. You know, maybe it'll be a missions trip to Cambodia. Maybe it'll be just a serious life of prayer and fasting. I mean, there's different things. But I know this, it's about a deep relationship with God. It's about steps of faith. It's about steps of obedience. And here Peter was asked by God to launch out into the deep and You know, um, he gives a little resistance, but but it's cool what he says. Again, look at verse 5. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He says we worked all night. The NIV says we worked hard all night. The Greek word right here, it means to grow weary, tired, exhausted. It speaks of toil, burdens, even grief. To labor with wearisome effort. You know, some people, when it comes to the physical fatigue, they don't serve the Lord anymore. They don't like go that extra mile. They're like, I'm not going to be tired for God. I'm going to go home and get my sleep. Peter said, no, Lord, I've been doing this all night. The we translates it this way. Master, through the entire night, having worked to the point of exhaustion, we took not even one thing. And, you know, in looking at that, and we know the whole story now, here's something to think about. How true it is that apart from God, we can do nothing. Huh? Isn't that true? You can't catch a fish, (laughs) Without God, you know, you go to work and you're like, hey man, I'm making some money. You couldn't have have earned a penny without God. You know, because Jesus had this whole thing set up and of course he's going to give him this marvelous catch, but he's setting him up all night. I won't let you catch anything. And, you know, that's the way it is in life. And we really need to come to grips with that. You can't think, you can't see, you can't hear, you can't walk, you can't do anything without God. You can't breathe. Your heart will stop without God. I mean, they toiled all night, experienced fishermen. And God said, I'm not going to give you one fish. You know, and that's why it's so, it's so cool to say, Lord, thank you for this food I'm about to receive. I mean, you may have a 99-cent taco from Taco Bell, and you're thinking, no, I I did this. Sorry, man. You wouldn't have a sliver of anything if it weren't for God. And that's what the Bible says. Uh, As a matter of fact, Psalm one twenty seven one, one of our favorite verses, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's got to be the Lord. I don't care how much you labor. It's got to be the Lord. I don't say, you know, it doesn't matter. It's got to be the Lord. John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Peter says, we traveled all night. We caught nothing. Nevertheless, and you might even want to underline these three words. At your word. I will let down the net. I like that, huh? That's a good sign right there, isn't it? Nevertheless, at your word. And you know, I want to encourage you guys, man, to have that same heart. Lord, it doesn't really make sense to me. Lord, I don't feel it. Lord, I don't feel like it. You know, I've already tried that, etc., etc., whatever it is. But man, for you to be able to say, nevertheless, at your word. I'll let down my net. You know, it's kind of interesting. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? It's a good question, huh? I mean, Jesus must be Lord of our life. You know, there was a bumper sticker that says Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. You guys remember that bumper sticker that went out a while back? It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. (laughs) No. It says, Jesus said it, that settles settles it. That's the way it should be in life. Whatever it is He's called us to do, He will give us the capacity to obey. He's called us as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. And you may think, well, that's so hard. It's not hard for the Lord. We make it hard. Whatever it is in life that He's called you to do, I think we make it hard. You see, He's Lord, and we just do the things that He says. It's very simple in life. Even like, I like what Mary, the mother of Jesus, she said to the servants in John chapter 2, verse 5, she said, whatever He says to you, do it. Isn't that cool? <laughs> it makes life simple, huh? All you got to do is just do what my son tells you to do. And they turned the water into wine. God used them. He says, nevertheless, at, at your word... I will let down the net. You know, again, not only was Peter tired, but the command kind of defied logic, especially coming from a carpenter. William Barclay said this. Peter said, let circumstances be what they may. If you say so, we will try again. Too often we wait because the time is not opportune. If we wait for perfect circumstances, we will never begin at all. If we want a miracle, we must take Jesus at his word when he bids us to attempt the impossible. And so they let down the net. In verse 6, it says, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. You know, and looking at this right here, I mean, think about that, man. These boats were made to catch fish. You know, but for um, not only this boat to begin to sink, but the other boat to begin to sink, and for the nets to be bursting, can you visualize how crazy that was? I mean, just how many fish they caught. And it just, everything defied logic. Everything about it. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right place. And... uh you know, basically Jesus showed them who he is. And that's really the, the story that we'll see here. And that's really probably the main point. I mean, who is it that can gather all these fish together at his at his beck and call? Who is it that has this type of authority? And Jesus shows himself really, really to Peter. And so in verse 8, it says, and when, when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, Peter saw the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He saw the majesty in the Messiah. He saw the glory, and he fell down at Jesus' knees. You know, and you're probably reading this story, and I know we're not there and everything, man, but... You know, I pray that by the Holy Spirit that you would see the same glory of God. I pray that you would. You know, because this is so important for you to see. Before you fulfill the calling on your life, you must see this glory of God. It's the only hope that we have to really fulfill the calling of God on our life. You know we see this happening throughout the scriptures. Jesus revealing himself to uh, the disciples, and whenever they would see him, they would you know fall on their knees or fall on their faces. Matthew seventeen six. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, were greatly afraid. Revelation one seventeen. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Even Matthew chapter two verse eleven. When the the, the men, the wise men, the magi, they came. It says that they fell down and worshipped him. Well, there's that place of just uh, prostration. When there's a revelation of who God really is. And when we see him in his glory, uh, one of the things that happens a lot of times is we see us um, in, our, in our sinful state. And that's what happened with Peter. Uh, He said, go away from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Then Altis says, O Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. We says, depart from me at once because I'm a man, a sinner. The word translated sinful man, it means devoted to sin, a sinner, not free from sin, preeminently sinful, especially wicked. You know, and as you read that and you look at that, you know, whatever you do, don't think, oh, Peter, man, he was really bad. You know, yeah, he was, but so are you and so am I. In the presence of God, if you don't realize that wickedness and wretchedness of who you are apart from Christ, and you have no hope to fulfill the calling of God on your life. We all are wicked and wretched apart from the Lord. And if he's done a good work in you and now you're more consistent and now you're more holy, don't forget who you are apart from him, that he is the one that has done the work. Now the reason that Peter asked Jesus to depart, you know, a couple of people a couple of different reasons. Some say that because he felt like he should be judged. Another is just a simple fact is realization if he's not worthy. And you see that right there is like is like a key that opens the door to usefulness. You know, cuz we really have to not only come to that realization or come to that place but stay in that place that I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Now some people, when it comes to that, that, that paralyzes them. They say, okay, that I'm not going to do anything because I'm not worthy. No, we have to go beyond that though. You know, um, We're not worthy, but if He calls us, He will equip us to do whatever it is that He wants us to do. I'm not worthy. I, I know that. I'll never be worthy. I know that. I'm not able. I know that. I'll never be able. I know that. But I know who He is. And I know what He can do with any life if He calls a life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God can do that work. But we have to make sure that we... You know, learn from a lesson like this. It's in the Bible for a reason. It's in the Bible to show us that God won't give up on us. He'll continue to pursue us in the calling for our life. And for all of us here, it's something different. But for all of us here, it's something. He will continue to pursue you and call you and he'll reach out to you. He's teaching the multitudes, but at the same time, he's got Peter right there. I like what John Corson, in, in talking about this section of Scripture right here, he said that um, one of the cool things about being used by the Lord, because think about it, you know, he chose Peter, he chose his boat, and so he's kind of using Peter in a sense, huh? He's kind of using him, right? He didn't need him, but he's using Peter. And so now Peter's kind of already involved in the ministry, and he's captive. He's got to hear the Bible study, Right? And John Corson was bringing up that point. He was saying, you know, that's one of the cool things about getting involved in ministry is you got to come to church. <laughs> you know, otherwise, man, sometimes you don't make it. But, you know, that's something to think about. But God right there, He's just, he's just reaching out to Him. And Peter's saying, uh, okay, Lord, I, I mean, you know, one step at a time. I'll do this. I'll let down the nets. Even though I kind of don't think it's a good idea. I know you want me to. And then... You know, when he realizes who Christ is and, he, and he's really just honest about who he is, it's a good place to be. You know, what was the problem with the Pharisees? It wasn't that they were, you know, worse. It wasn't that they were better. It's just that they were not honest about their lives. Huh. They just weren't honest about their lives. You know, because the Lord would know their thoughts, the Lord would know their hearts, the Lord would know their hypocrisy, and they would know as well. But they weren't honest. And Peter here, he says, depart from me, Um, I'm a sinful man. You know, and it doesn't matter how good you are according to man's standards. Um, Whenever you really see God, you're going to come to this place. Remember Job? You guys remember the story of Job? He was a pretty good guy, huh? I would venture to say he's a hundred times better than us, right? But notice what it says in Job 42, verse 5 and 6. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Think about that. When he really saw the Lord, he said, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. In Job 40, verse 4, it says, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. What can I say? And then there's Isaiah. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, when he saw the majesty of God and the holy, holy, holy God on the throne, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, there was a transformation going on in the life of Peter. And when he saw the majesty, the purity, and the holiness of God, he realized who he was. You know, something that's interesting, you guys, look at verse 5. It says, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Okay, the word master is a, a Greek word that speaks of a superintendent or an overseer. It's just kind of like your boss at work. Not really a big deal, you know. This is who he is at this point. But after he does this miracle of catching all this fish, you go down to verse 8, and what does Peter call him there? He calls him Lord, huh? And there's a difference now. He uses the Greek word kurios. And it speaks of a person to whom we belong. It's the person which has power over us, who has control of our life. And right there, in just a moment of time, things changed. He went from being just some generic boss to the Lord of his life. That's so important for us to have in our hearts, that calling and that clarity. I mean, that makes life very simple for me. I just have to find out what God wants me to do and then do it with his strength. You see, right there, there's this transformation. I mean, they were just so blown away. They were awestruck of what had happened. You know, earlier we read in Luke 4, verse 32 and 36, the same Greek word, how they were astonished at his teaching. But now they're astonished, same Greek word, how he has complete control over this unparalleled catch of fish. There's a neat verse over in Psalm chapter 8, verse 6 through 8. It says, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. How Jesus had dominion over all of them. And Jesus definitely had the power to pull and put the fish into the net. And again, like I shared earlier, it wouldn't be the last time. He would do it again later in John chapter 21. And so when all this happens, Peter says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What did Jesus do? Well, we read there in verse 10, Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. The Greek word is phobio. And it means to put to flight by terrifying, struck with fear, seized with alarm. You know, and I don't know for sure what Peter was afraid of. I think more than likely Peter was afraid of the wrath of God, I think. Because when you see God, when you really see God, and I I know we're not there, man. I I wish we could have... Could have been there. Maybe in heaven there'll be a DVD or something, man. But I don't know, it'll probably even be more real than that. But but man, if you could have just if you when we see God and, and especially now, because when we're we're in heaven, we're gonna have our glorified bodies. It's not gonna be the same. But to see God now in this body of death that we live in, I mean the only thing that would really biblically come to mind is, man, I deserve judgment. More than likely that was the fear. And, and who knows, you know, maybe we have that fear. It's a good fear. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear Him who can cast both body and soul into hell. Fear Him. It's a good fear sometimes, but don't let it be carried too far. Because even though we deserve hell, He's given us heaven. Even though we don't deserve to serve Him, He calls us to serve him. And we hear the words of Jesus. He says, do not, do not be afraid. He says right there, from now on, you will catch men. And it's so cool, you guys, when we realize and we understand you know, that the calling in our life is not because of something that we deserve. It's because of the grace of God. It's the grace of God that initiates that call and it's the grace of God that continues that call. You know, it's so important for us to have that understanding. You know, the Bible says first Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, Paul said, "By the grace of God I am what I am." You know, sometimes you look at these guys and whoever it is that you might, you know, be tempted to put on a pedestal, Billy Graham or Chuck Smith or any of these guys, and you know, part of us thinks, "Man, they they did something to deserve it." And you know what? There probably was elements of, you know, just being made in a certain way with a certain heart and everything like that. But man, it's 100% grace. It's all God. He gets all the glory. You know, that's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not anything we deserve, it's the calling of God in our life. You know, one person said this, I am convinced that the Lord is looking for people, organizations, and churches he can bless who will, like Peter, say, we don't deserve this. Grace is the key to ministry, the key to prosperity, the key to victory in this body corporately and in our lives personally. The highest form of worship is when we're just amazed by how good God is to sinners like us. You know, I'm not saying you go out and sin because, man, God will bless it. Because, again, Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, certainly not. But, man, you know, when our heart understands the way that it works, the grace of God in our life, it really encourages us to carry on. You know, He died for you. When He was nailed to a cross, all of your sins, past, present, and future, we're done away with. You are forgiven as Christians. And now you can go forward in your calling to glorify God and to help others get saved. To help others get strengthened. And wherever you're at, wherever your part is in the body of Christ, that you fulfill that call faithfully. It's not just pastors, but sometimes it's pastors, sometimes it's assistant pastors, sometimes it's administrators, sometimes it's ushers, children's ministry, nursery, moms, I mean friends, I mean just wherever it is. But you got to be faithful in the calling of God on your life. And the grace of God will carry you there. No, it says right here, Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And we know that Peter would eventually be used by God to catch people, huh? To save people. Would you rather catch, fish or men? Just out of curiosity. I mean, I know fish is good, but it's not that good. (laughs) Acts 2.41, it says, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls. Were added to them. It's a good catch. Later in Acts chapter four, verse four, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about five thousand, just men. Five thousand. See? Catching men. Eventually even Peter would be used to open the door of salvation to the Gentiles. And ultimately the glory of God and the salvation of souls. We need to understand is what it's all about, you guys. We need to have eyes to evangelize a mission for the Great Commission. Peter became a missionary, a pastor, a preacher. Um, I like what one guy said, Henry Martin. He said, the spirit of Christ is a spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. And so what ends up happening? Verse 11, it says, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And that's interesting. I wonder about that sometimes. When they brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and they followed him. What's in the boats? There's a lot of fish in the boats, huh? You know what those fish mean? There's a lot of money in the boats. You know, I mean, I don't know about you. I've read one commentary. One guy said, you know what I probably would have done. I said, hey, Jesus, let's hook up, man. We can make some big bucks, you know. (laughs) I mean, think about it, man. We struck gold. But you know what? When you see the riches of God side by side with the riches of this world, there's no comparison. It's almost like, and we don't know for sure. Who knows? Maybe he gave it to his wife. Here, honey, take care of this. I'm out of here. I don't know for sure what happened. But it seems to indicate that they didn't even care about the fish anymore. They didn't even care about the boats anymore. Didn't care about the nets anymore. They forsook all. And they followed him. And when I read that right there, I, uh, I just see the calling that we have. In life, you guys, I want to encourage you to do the same. You know, for some of you here, it does mean getting up and going and becoming a missionary. I do know this, that for most of us here, it's not to do that, but to make sure that in our heart that God has the priority of our life, that he comes before everything, and that as God is first before any other relationship, every other goal, every other ambition, when you really have a heart and you become, you know, just with the understanding of what really this is all about, that God will will make you fishers of men and your part in the whole gospel, then, you know, you go out and you have that priority and you live your life in light of that. And so let me just give you eight things to write down real quick if you're taking notes In looking at our study today, and I know there's a lot here, but number one, I see that the focus, number one, focus is the Word of God. Jesus was teaching the Bible. Say, never forget that. One day you go looking for another church, make sure they teach you the Bible. Okay? Number two, focus on the people of God. And in this case, I think it's so beautiful the way Jesus focused on Peter and how the Lord will focus even on you. He loves you so much. And he's got a calling for your life. Thirdly, the focus on God. That when Peter saw who Jesus was, it changed everything. Number four, the word fear. Don't fear. Don't be afraid of judgment. Don't be afraid of anything except God. (laughs) Number five, forgiveness. To know that in Jesus Christ, all my sins are washed away. Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And yeah, apart from Christ we are. But in Christ, there's no more sin. Number six, forsake. Make sure you forsake all those things that might be temptations in your life that you might put before God. Number seven, follow. And follow the Lord. That's life, real simple. Follow the Lord. Later on, John chapter 21, same thing. Uh, You know, one time, you know, Peter and John, Jesus was recommissioning Peter. And what ended up happening was, uh, uh, you know, Peter's all, hey, what about this guy over here? What about John? What's going to happen to him? And the Lord said, don't worry about him. You follow me. And that's life for us as Christians is just to follow the Lord. And then number eight is the word fisherman. Fisherman. God wants to make you and me fishers of men. And so I want to encourage you guys to catch that vision. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to study your word, Lord God. Help us, help me, Lord, to know that this is what life is all about. Help me to see who you are in your glory and your majesty, God. And I do thank you, Father, that many of my brothers and sisters here have caught that vision. Uh, and if any have, and if any have forgotten, I pray you would reignite that in their life. It's all about you. It's all about you wanting to save people who are perishing. And Father God, I even pray maybe there's some here today who don't know you, who are perishing, and they need to be caught. Lord, today I pray you would touch every heart you would speak to every heart lord you're the savior only you can save a soul and so father i pray that right now you would speak to that heart or those hearts and if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you that today they would know you love them that you died for them that you were put in a grave on the third day you rose again jesus and if they would place their life, their faith, their trust in you and turn from their sins, then today they can receive salvation and forgiveness. Your word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, your word says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so, Lord, work that work today. Work of believing, work of receiving in hearts that every soul here would surrender to the love of Jesus Christ. We love You, Father. We thank You. Lord, give us that passion, that fire, that zeal. Your Word says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Thank You, Lord, so much for Your Word. In Jesus' name.